Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Religion Prof Podcast, when I'm delighted to have two guests uh, who work for uh, Zondervan, and particularly in their uh, Bible publishing uh, branch, uh, focused on the New Revised Standard Version, or the NRSV, to those of us who know and love it and use it often, and uh, use it so often that we have to abbreviate. And so we've got uh, Bob Gaudet and Melinda Bauma, uh, who are here, and uh, I'm looking forward to talking with them about Bibles and academic use of Bibles and things that publishers wish academics knew about Bibles or uh, wish that they would tell them about uh, Bibles and what they need from Bibles for classroom and other purposes. So uh, Melinda and Bob, thank you so much and welcome to the, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, glad to be on. So how does one end up working in Bible publishing? How's that for a starter <laughs> question? That's a tough one. Um, you have to be kind of having an odd fortuitous, that's the word, um, have to get here in many ways. Um, most people think about publishing and think about book or commentaries, but Bibles, mm, that's where it's at. It's a special team. It's a special mission. And yeah, we all have different paths. I guess to introduce myself, I've been here 16 years and my path was an internship and I just loved reading. I loved publishing. I loved the Bible. And I just got, yeah, I got in and I never left. So uh, for me, it just kind of started with an open door and realizing you have to love working with the text and working with authors who love the text. Thanks. Yeah, and for, um, yeah, for me, I um, uh, actually came to uh, Zondervan for, for Bible publishing uh, through another Grand Rapids publisher. I was uh, with uh, Erdman, so I, I uh, was more into... Uh, uh, academic publishing. I worked in the uh, sales department there, but a lot of what I did was uh, interacting with professors for textbooks adoption, um, just kind of seeing where, you know, what professors needed for the future. Um, and then I was there for three and a half years and then came over to the Zondervan side. Um, kind of my commute to work by uh, three and a half minutes, and that was nice. Um, and my, my job is now marketing. Uh, since I had the uh, the academic experience, I jumped right in with more of the academic side of our Zondervan Bibles. Uh, so did a lot uh, right at the beginning with uh, some of our Bibles, like the uh, Cultural Backgrounds Study Bible with John Walton and Craig Keener. Um, and then about a year and a half ago, uh, took over stewardship of the NRSV brand. Uh, so currently I'm over uh, all of the adult Bible marketing, but uh, the, the NRSV brand is also mine. So Melinda, you mentioned loving the Bible, and I imagine both that uh, loving, loving any subject uh, helps when you're working with it as a, a profession. Uh, I certainly found that true as somebody who, who teaches biblical studies in an academic context and things like that. But I'm also curious, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm curious about that, but also what do you get to, in what ways do you get to know the Bible differently if you work in publishing? Mm. So that's a really interesting question because one of the things that makes working in Bible publishing so unique and why I kind of laughingly said a lot of people, they have like an interesting path that winds them up here is because 
when you work in other parts of publishing, you work with different manuscripts all the time. And in Bibles, if you're a Bible editor, especially, you are constantly always working with, in some ways, the same manuscript, right? Like you're working with Genesis to Revelation. Maybe you have projects that include the apocryphal books, but generally you're kind of working on the same text over and over with different authors who are adding notes that add a different maybe lens or viewpoint to the text, but you are constantly in that same text. And so when we have people who've worked here 20, 25 years, that's remarkable because in some ways they're constantly going back to the same source. And so one of the things I guess um, that you learn differently working in this area is you just get a depth and knowledge and insight into the nuances of the text that you wouldn't get as an everyday Bible reader. Um, we see all the editions of the Bibles that we publish, and as the largest publisher, we make a lot of editions. And so as an editor in this department, you would get to experience so many different insights, viewpoints, lenses, however you want to say it, but you get so many rich nuggets unpacked for you in a way that the average person who buys one Bible a year, two Bibles a year at the most, you know, they wouldn't get that same kind of insight as you would get working day in and day out with all different kinds of authors and professors on the, the text itself. Wow, that's interesting. And presumably for those who've had, uh, you know, challenging experiences working with uh, contemporary authors, right, going into a line of work in which, I mean, Amos is never going to complain about how, what you did with his book, right? <laughs> sort of, at least as far as the text itself is concerned, right? Some of the academics who are providing commentary, uh, you know, maybe a different story, but... Uh, yeah, that, that's true. We like to joke that, you know, our author, you know, he never really complains to us, but he's also <laughs> hard to get available for book signing. So, you know, you kind of give one, take one there. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw a photo uh, circulating on social media, and I don't know if it was somebody did it, you know, for a laugh or whether it was actually something that somehow got produced, but where there was a, you know, an edition of the Bible in a bookstore and it said signed copy, you know, <laughs> like, or something like that. It's like, okay, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so what's changed over the years? I mean, even in the time that you've been involved in the publishing industry, but maybe also as you've spoken with older colleagues or are just looking back at the history of Bible publishing, and what's different nowadays? What are some of the major things that are, have changed or, and the major trends in uh, Bible publication? Wow. Okay. I, I guess to answer that, I would say what hasn't changed, um, mm -hmm. And I'll go first, and then maybe Bob, he's got a different perspective coming from other publishers as well. Uh, but for me, so I'm currently the publisher for Zondervan Bibles, but I started, my first 10 years were in marketing. And so I kind of came up seeing one side of the business and then moved over. But in that time, I would say some of the biggest changes have been the rise of digital. So, um, you know, you think about probably 12 years ago or so was the iPhone, and then we had you know, Bible Gateway has been around, Uversion, Kindle, just the ways that you can read anything digitally, but especially the Bible being available online or in-app for free. That's a, a big change that we see in the industry. And second big thing um, I would say is really the, the changes in the industry. You know, a couple of years ago, having family Christian stores closed down, that, that's a pretty big thing no one saw coming, you know, when I first started here as an intern 16 years ago. And so those big shifts in the market have really, um, yeah, been, I think, different and something we couldn't have expected. And I think tying that in 
or like pairing that with cultural just changes on relationship to the Bible generally as generations change and things like that. I guess I would say those are the biggest changes I've seen. Bob, any thoughts? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, when I think I was in uh, my role at Erdman for, you know, about a month when even before, before uh, family, when Cokesbury uh, closed all their retail stores. Uh, so that's, you know, it's, Across the board, it doesn't matter, you know, which publishing house you're at, you know, you, you feel that. Uh, and then from, you know, from that was sales or marketing, I mean, uh, the attention side, like how do you communicate to, um, you know, just the, 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 the wider readership, you know, what's available. Um, now, the thing that's taken the, you know, taken uh, the place of that to, to a certain degree is, uh, is more direct things like, you know, the podcast we're on right now. Uh, or you know, social media. Um, social media has been you know, been huge for uh, Bible. Uh, I guess publishing in, in general, just you know, getting information out there. Uh, like micro influencers, like just people who have smaller tribes, uh, really engaged tribes, though, um, can can make a difference. Uh, I think the challenge, not just for Zonovan Bible, but for all of publishing, is that there is a difference between you know someone. You know, reading a tweet about a new book and you know browsing in a family Christian or a Cokesbury or Barnes and Noble uh, and seeing that book, you're just in a different mindset. You're in a, a buying mindset versus a browsing mindset. Uh, so, I mean, that's a challenging that's a challenge across the board in all of publishing. Is like, how do we? You know, we know social media works for getting attention. But we're not sure it quite works yet in uh, actually getting people to you know, purchase a Bible who aren't in the mindset are ready to purchase a Bible. Or, or any book in general. It's so interesting because, you know, we hear the, the, the much touted statistic that the, you know, the Bible is, you know, the world's bestseller. Um, of course, uh, not always a uh, very widely read bestseller, but, you know, people having multiple copies, even if they uh, have uh, maybe not opened even one of them. But presumably, especially with the uh, proliferation of online uh, resources, uh, that's got to change things. I, I, I imagine that a lot of people don't think about uh, either marketing or the impact on publishing of you know, some of these changes. Yeah, I think you're right. And I mean, it, it's true that the Bible is still the bestseller and it still sells more than any other book, but where it's sold or how it's sold is the thing that's really shifted. And the, yeah, the changes that makes, that makes in marketing, I, I sometimes think to myself, man, I'm, I'm glad I moved out of marketing five years ago because their job got way harder. Um, but yeah, it's really Bob and his team now that are the voice for our work directly to the readers in ways that weren't available or needed 10, 15 years ago. So... I know that academics uh, in my field, uh, people who work in biblical studies, uh, are among the listeners to this podcast. Um, just like with blogging, we don't know everyone who's listening or everybody who's reading, uh, but we do hear occasionally from some people and so I have a sense of some of those who are listening. What, what do publishers of Bibles wish academics knew about the latest Bibles uh, in any format, uh, what's available to them as people who do research on the Bible, but also uh, maybe in particular as educators, as people who use the Bible in the classroom and need something very often more than just the bare text 
for their students to facilitate their understanding, to facilitate their engagement with the text, to facilitate their uh, interaction with and focus on particular aspects of the text or its context or things like that? Uh, yeah, I guess I, I can start with that a little bit. I guess, uh, you know, the most, I guess on a, on a most basic level, I mean, you know, we go to SBL and we have a booth there and we are always happy to let you take a free one. I mean, we will, we will send you, if, you, if you're interested in anything we have, uh, we're more than happy to, you know, send you a review copy and, and look through. And um, I, I guess the, on the, on the most basic levels, I mean, it's, you know, the, the information is there for, you know, for you to, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're in this to, you know, to serve, you know, the, the wider Christian world, but the Academy too. I mean, that's part of our, um, I mean, we, you know, we, we want to be, you know, we want to partner with, you know, the, uh, leading thinkers uh, in uh, you know in the in the Christian world and the in the religious studies world, um, so we want to be partners. So just on a, on a very basic level, I mean, uh, we are here to serve you, and you know, you know whether it's you know at a booth at a, an academic conference or uh, even just through emails exchange email exchanges, we you know we want to be there. And um, it, you, I mean, you know, I speak for hopefully for religious. I mean, we we are you know, we want to listen uh, and we want to, you know, uh, get your feedback and uh, partner with you in any way that will work uh, in any combination of it's, if it's a Bible, if it's study Bible, if you say, Hey, you know, if, if only you would publish something like this, I mean, we, we would, you know, we would, you know, love to have conversations about that. We sure would. I mean, that's one thing I would say. I wish that maybe academics, all consumers that read our great content, but Academics, I would love to hear feedback if you ever find, hey, here's a Bible I have from you, and I think it's great, but man, this one thing would have made it even better. Or, hey, here's an idea. You know, my students would really benefit from having a text that's combined with this kind of resource or notes from this type of person. I mean, we want to serve. That, Like Bob just said that, I guess, um, word for word probably, but that's really what we are here for. And so, yes, we publish so many different editions, because we're always trying to reach the readers who need them. And, you know, Bob mentioned the, the rise of the micro-influencer. And in some ways, that's driven kind of how many Bibles we have, because there are going to be professors who have a very specific need of what they teach. You're going to have, you know, going outside the academy, a very specific tribe of, of readers that love a particular angle that they want to explore in the text. And so we're always open to that feedback um, and those ideas. And I guess I would also say I'd love to ever hear feedback on, oh, um, you know, this is a way that if a Bible was done, I could use it more easily in my classroom. You know, because think about it, in the academy, you all are really training up either future um, teachers and professors, possibly a lot of future pastors, those serving, um, you know, in the pulpit. And that is a huge responsibility that if the more resources that we make that can serve them in that endeavor, you know, the average person attending church does not know the depth about the text that I think we all hope and assume and wish that they did. And so these study Bibles are really a great resource to help equip the church and to equip those leading the church through the academy or in the pulpit to keep training up the next generation of leaders in that way as well. 
Yeah. Well, I, I'm tempted to ask, what's the strangest suggestion for a, like a, a custom, a particular type of Bible that you've ever encountered? I'll, I'll, I'll plant that seed and we can come back to that if you've got a really good one. Um, but I, I also want to say, you know, with the proliferation of, you know, sort of you know, Bibles with, you know, academic content with, you know, very specific, like, you know, uh, cultural context or archaeological focus, I feel maybe less in my academic classroom setting, but certainly in a Sunday school class I teach at my own church, I have a sense that there are people who actually look at the footnotes, right? Look at the commentary, look at those things, you know, the notes in the text, which is not, is not a given, right, among any readers, but certainly among Bible readers. Uh, you, can, you can spend your life in a church and not, you know, become aware of things that you know, if you just glance at a footnote, you'd become aware that there are you know, different manuscripts and there are sometimes differences between them. Never mind that there, are, is, there may be commentary if you have a study Bible that says, you know, here, are, you know, here are some cultural background that might influence how you understand the story or things like that. Uh, I get a sense that people are actually engaging with some of that additional content, which is extremely encouraging. I mean, I know that sometimes I've uh, ask students to, sometimes require them to. Uh, even if a professor requires something, doesn't always mean that it happens. Um, that may or may not be surprising news to anyone, but uh, <laughs> there you go. But it seems that you know there certainly are people who are taking advantage of some of these things, and presumably that is testament to uh, the usefulness of you know not individually customized, but you know customized study Bibles for people with particular interests, you know, people who find archaeology fascinating, history fascinating, or who are very interested in thinking about, you know, contemporary application or things like that. Yes, and I, oh, I find that deeply encouraging, and I think the translation committees for the different translations would find that encouraging that the footnotes to the text themselves are also being used mm -hmm. and helping draw out different questions and ideas, because they're there for a reason. Um, just a brief note on I would say yes, like the cultural background study Bible is a great example. It's a Bible that has been successful um, at first launched in the NIV, but it is coming out in the NRSV. And that is a big deal because the NRSV translation hasn't always had maybe as, as many options available to it as some other translations when you think about different price points, different styles, and different types of notes. But that Bible, yes, it appeals, like you said, to people who love archaeology and history. But there's also a ton of readers out there who probably wouldn't have taken a survey and said, hey, that sounds to me up my alley because I watch the History Channel or I do these things. But what they didn't realize until there was a marketing, you know, kind of tagline or idea that helped them see why reading the Bible in its original context and kind of culture is helpful to understanding their faith um, based on history and for today it kind of like expanded that, that market, if you will, that's very a publishing talk to use. But the reason I say that is, for instance, the editor who worked on that in-house, he has been here this year, I think it's actually number 25. Mm -hmm. So he's been doing Bibles 25 years. And I remember he worked with John Walton and Craig Keener, and he was reading the study notes and editing them as his job. And he kept coming over and saying, wow, Melinda, did you know and mm -hmm. he, his faith was like coming alive in ways he wouldn't have ever thought to experience. And it wasn't because he's a real history buff. It was that this Bible, he wouldn't have even realized the depth and richness of understanding the text when you read it 
within the culture of its time that it was mm-hmm. written. So these Bibles can really help, I think, teach very specific um, categories and topics within the academic world. But I think they're also just really rich for helping someone in your Sunday school class who wouldn't even know they need that, but suddenly the Bible is open to them in a really special way. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that because that that really is the thing that you know, somebody who like me who's who's teaching these subjects is thinking a lot about is that the Bible, even for those for whom it's familiar, often comes as a text that is essentially ripped out of an ancient context within which you know it's it found its linguistic meaning in terms of you know what does this word mean, what are its nuances, uh, the cultural connotations of you know an interaction between a widow and a judge, or a Samaritan and person in Judea by the side of the road or whatever else is going on, right? There's cultural information, there's linguistic information, there's historical information that uh, in the absence of that, the text may not get its point across at all or may not mean the same thing or may, may simply seem unclear. And the potential for a good study Bible to bring at least just enough of that on the one hand to make the text come alive and enrich it with some of that context that was there and taken for granted by the original readers and you know, um, writers, but also get, give people a taste that makes them say, oh my gosh, you know, I'd never thought about this aspect of the cultural context. I'm gonna go read a whole book on this or I'm going to inform myself even more and get more of that richness. Um, oftentimes I think that this kind of Bible you know, with notes, with just enough to lure someone in. It's, it's, a, it's a gateway drug to Bible context and the importance of context in biblical interpretation. Um, I like that. <laughs> yeah. The first note is free. Right? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so you work uh, with the New Revised Standard Version. And of course, that is in many ways the, the sort of go-to translation for uh, academic use in uh, non-religiously affiliated contexts, as well as in uh, some mainline churches and things like that. Uh, for other people, that may be a you know a, it may be either a, a less familiar translation or one that's unfamiliar, or maybe the only one that they've ever encountered. Right, depending on what kind of academic and/or uh, church context they've had contact with. What is distinctive about the NRSV? I mean, what is it that makes that sort of the go-to for academics, uh, even if in other circles it may not be the go-to Bible? Um, I'm obviously not asking you to trash talk any other translation or anything <laughs> like that, right? But there definitely is, from an academic perspective, there is a reason why we have, you know, over, over recent decades, that's been the one that a lot of us have used for academic purposes in the classroom. Uh, what, what's, what's distinctive, what's special about that particular translation? Uh, yeah, so I mean, the, uh, the the twin engines, if you want, of, of the NRSV are kind of go back to the the, the genesis of the translation. I mean, the, the whole Puritanism project, um, you know, started with the SBL and the National Council of Churches uh, working together to create a text for both. Uh, so that's why I mean, you, you have, you know, you, you it's it's beloved with with academics. Uh, and it's also beloved for the churches, you know, in the uh, the NCC uh, framework. Uh, so you've got, you know, United Methodists and you know Presbyterian and Anglicans and, and across. I, I think for specifically for academics, though, um, I think the love for this translation goes back to its uh, transparency. Um, 
we had there was such a wide, uh, just such a wide uh, diversity, I should say, uh, of scholars who worked on it. Uh, they weren't all Methodists, but they weren't all men, or they weren't all um, evangelicals. They were they were from a a breadth. So you had mainline Protestants, you had Jewish scholars, uh, you had Catholic scholars, Orthodox scholars, you had evangelical scholars, uh, and they all came together. Uh, and there was just this great kind of uh, checks and balances going on as it was being put together uh, so that it could be a custom translation and an ecumenical translation. Um, and, and I think there's, you know, within the, within the academy, there's, you know, there's a focus on let's be very transparent uh, and let's also show our process uh, and the ability for the NRSB to show this is how we got to where we are. These are the decisions we make. These are the notes that back up our decisions. And we're all in this board together. We're sitting around the table, and, and no one is, you know, no one is running the meeting in a certain direction. We're all kind of, you know, checking each other to make sure uh, we're all, uh, you know, relatively happy with the with the decision, the final with, with the final shape of the text. I think that uh, that decision to to be so transparent uh, just goes hand in hand. I mean, that's the academic process, and I think that's why uh, the academy has embraced it and has, you know, was not just embracing part of the genesis of the, of the whole project. Yeah, well, I certainly am, you know, going to continue using it. And that's the, the go-to one that uh, I use. I've used it in a lot of different editions, right? Oftentimes, which particular set of uh, scholars produce the notes. And of course, oftentimes, even across, you know, major academic study Bibles, uh, there's some overlap uh, between different editions of those kinds of things. Uh, but really, it is that text that is, uh, avoid some of the particularities of ones that are connected with some particular denominational or... Well put, particularities. Yeah, like. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> So are there any interesting Bibles in the works that you know, are maybe coming down the pipeline we should be like, get, start getting excited about now? <laughs> uh, yeah, that we can share. Hmm, let me think about that. Yes, we, are, uh, we have some things in the works that are pretty exciting, some that we'll have to keep secret a little longer. But I guess the big thing that I, probably people don't realize is that this commitment for Zondervan to publish the NRSV We've published the NRSV in the past. We've had a couple of, edition, of editions here and there. But we, this spring, are coming in with a whole host of beautiful, readable editions. So there will be the, the core, um, the Cultural Background Study Bible and the NRSV comes out very soon. And you won't be able to like miss that. And it's gorgeous. But the big thing for us is that we said, okay, we feel that the NRSV market has been underserved with the breadth and depth of what we do really well with the NIV and other translations we publish. Let's bring that beauty and readability to the NRSV. So one thing that will be coming out this spring are new text editions and beautiful editions, but they also all feature an exclusive new proprietary typeface that we had designed. So a company over in Denmark, 2K Denmark, we've partnered with them to make this, um, typeface called the NRSV Comfort Print. So Zondervan has this exclusive Comfort Print typeface designed specifically for the NRSV, and it is going to make these NRSV Bibles more readable than you could imagine at the size that they're at, but also help save 
pages. So they're going to be portable, which is really important. I know for students carrying these around, um, anyone who wants to preach and teach from them, being able to hold open in one hand. And so the, the comfort print is a really big deal for us and we're super excited about it. In fact, we even have a great video that tells more about it that Bob, you want to talk maybe a little bit about how we kind of did that would be cool. Uh, yeah, we, uh, we partnered with uh, Will Willeman uh, down at uh, Duke and uh, some, uh, uh, some other folks, uh, uh, Patrick Smith, uh, who's uh, now at Duke, who was at uh, Gordon Conwell, uh, and, and some other folks. And we, uh, we just made a, a video um, kind of talking about it a little bit. Uh, it's on the, the website. If you go to nrsb.net, um, you can see some of that. We'll have more of the videos on uh, that website. We've got about 15 photos. Uh, that we've put together. Um, uh, those will be live um, hopefully this week. Well, I'll definitely make a point of um, circulating those uh, in conjunction with the, the podcast, the extent that I can. Uh, I don't know which I'm more excited about, the fact that there's a, you know, there's a whole new typeface that uh, sounds exciting and that aspect of it, or the fact that there are top secret Bible projects that... <laughs> You can't talk about, right? That's pretty cool too, I think. So. I think it's cool, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, uh, I can't think of any leading questions that might uh, get you to spill the beans on some of those things. Uh, but I do hope, you know, that others listening to this will have been uh, provoked, as I certainly uh, am, to, to just start thinking creatively because I'm wondering, is there something that's come up at some point where I've had the thought, I mean, I'm sure at some points I've had the thought, you know, it'd be great if there was a Bible that had this, or if it did that, or if it was formatted in this way, or if um, it had these additional features or anything like that. And oftentimes, you know, if that thought occurs to us, even if it occurs to us every time we go in the classroom, uh, we're oftentimes, you know, professors, I found, are often just like our students. Uh, the fact that something's not working doesn't mean we actually tell someone <laughs> so that something new might be made available to us. And oftentimes, as professors, all it would take for us to do something slightly different in the classroom or approach things from a different angle is for somebody to say, hey, this way you usually approach it is not the most helpful to me personally. Have, you know, is there a different way of approaching this? And so I will be, I'll be trying to think creatively about uh, what, else, you know, what else could the Bible be? Uh, what else could the Bible uh, have by way of resources that uh, enhance the reader's experience, enhance the student's and the scholar's experience. Yeah, please do. I mean, any barriers to the text that we can remove, we want to remove them. So in fact, I would even say, go ahead and if you or anyone listening thinks of ideas, you could email yeah. to me uh, directly. Um, I don't know if you'll put like a link and put Sarah emails in there, but mine is just melinda.bauma at harpercollins.com. I'd love to hear from anyone. Yeah. And if anyone asks me, I didn't quite catch that, or I'm not sure if I'm spelling that right or something like that, but they're Googling it, but not finding you, uh, I will encourage them to get in touch with me and I will pass on their information. And if the idea is really good, I'll claim credit for it. So, Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. So, so as, we, as we draw to a close, any, any amusing anecdotes or something from the world of Bible publishing, uh, just to, to draw things to a close with some story that you may not always get to tell, but which... Uh, people who listen to a, a, an academic Bible-themed uh, podcast might find interesting or amusing. Man, that's a tough one. Well, yeah, I don't know. We don't have too many crazy things that happen when <laughs> making Bibles, not too often. Um, 
and anything that we would find funny is probably just so obscure that you would <laughs> actually find it that amusing. I really can't think of any. I guess, no, I really can't. I really can't think of any. Bob, do you have any? <laughs> not, not really, no. <laughs> Okay, so so sorry, big disappointment. Sorry about that. <laughs> that's quite all right. So this is not a line of work you get into uh, for the laughs, probably. Although it sounds like you're both laughing, and I think we're we're geeking out about things. It's probably just that uh, we both have this. We all, all three of us, have this instinct that uh, some of these things might not be of interest, or other people might not find them as funny. Uh, but yeah. clearly, it's a it's an area to get into. Uh, you know, for people who are interested in. You know, engaging with the Bible, engaging with readership and with changing forms of readership and figuring out how to navigate that in terms of publishing. Um, it certainly sounds like a line of work that uh, some people should think about. But for all of us who are in other lines of work that intersect with what you do, uh, I think it's really important that we, we just have some of these uh, opportunities to get to know each other's fields a little bit better. Because uh, I think the more that academics understand uh, publishers, certainly publishers get to, to know academics, I think, uh, in a variety of ways. But we don't always uh, listen to what, you know, publishers are thinking in the case of, you know, when, especially when it's people who are publishing a resource that we use, but maybe which we don't contribute to, right? So mm -hmm. I probably understand more about the publishing of academic books, like scholarly monographs and the kinds of things I've written, than I do about what's involved in putting together a study Bible or things like that. And so I think it's really, really useful to have these conversations. And so I hope that people have enjoyed listening to this. Uh, I hope that those who attend things like uh, AAR and SBL uh, will come by your booth, not just because you said you're, you're willing to give away free Bibles uh, to people <laughs> who will put them to good use and assign them to their students, but also because uh, people should come and browse because uh, as you said, even though the bookstore in its traditional format uh, is is something that has clearly been shaken uh, to its very core by changing uh, changing purchasing habits, changing ways of doing things. Uh, there are still opportunities to uh, see that new typeface, for instance, uh, once it's out there uh, in person, right on the page um, at places like that where where things are available. And so, uh, definitely, will encourage people to to find a variety of ways of connecting with you and the work that you do, both to, to make suggestions and talk about their needs, but also to see what it is that you offer um, and things that you may offer, which they may uh, not have had on their radar, because let's be honest, there are a lot of Bibles out there and <laughs> it, would, it would be easy to miss some, but there are important publishers like Zondervan and there are important uh, versions like the New Revised Standard Version that academics and professors really need to make sure they, they keep an eye on. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for all you've shared today. And uh, to everyone out there, uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if, if you're not regularly doing so, go out and read, go and read the NRSV and find out what you're missing. And uh, to everyone who's been listening, thank you so much for tuning in this week. And bye for now. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye.